Amen. Thank you so much, Amy. And good morning, everyone. Good morning, South Campus. Hey, good to see you all here uh, in Night Hall. And I want to welcome everyone who may be tuning in here online. And this week um, was traditionally our homecoming week. And uh, we typically have a lot of different, you know, festivities and things like that planned. Uh, but as Christina mentioned, there, are, there is still a lot going on, a lot to participate in this week, um, every night of this week. And even though our traditional homecoming, uh, you know, activities in terms of the concerts and games and tailgating parties and all that stuff, that, that'll be postponed um, to, to some degree to spring of 2021, we, we wanted to maintain this week in chapel, which is um, our tradition to have alumni in chapel and to be able to hear from alumni and specifically um, hearing what their kingdom perspective and kingdom engagement in God's kingdom has been like since graduating uh, from Northwestern. And so this morning we have a, a fairly recent alum, uh, Felicia Cunningham, who's going to be joining us and speaking in chapel. And she graduated just this past spring of 2019. Um, she just loved it here so much that she was here for almost about six years and uh, uh, three different majors later of theater, psychology, and of course, studying uh, the Bible and having a Bible major. Um, but she has, uh, since graduating, uh, has been working as a professional actress, both on stage and on the camera, and, and is working at uh, Robbinsdale Women's Center as a patient advocate uh, just right here in the Twin Cities. And so uh, really excited to hear from her today, and I want to invite you to join me uh, to give Felicia a warm welcome back to Northwestern. So, Felicia. And I also want to invite you to join me to place a handout over uh, Felicia as we pray for her and for our time together this morning. So Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your great love. It's your love that is steadfast, your love that is unending, your love that is unchanging. And it's because of that that we are here and that we get to be here together this morning. And Father, we are so grateful uh, for Felicia for our sister in Christ and for this opportunity um, that we have to encounter you together with her and to hear from her through you, uh, by you through her, Lord, of just how, how she has been encountering you, how she has been engaged in your kingdom work, God, how she has both experienced and expressed the love that we just sang about a few moments ago. And we pray, Father, that right now that you would fill her afresh with your Holy Spirit, that our hearts would be open and be tender to the promptings of your Spirit as you speak your word, grace and truth through her to us. And Father, may at the result and the end of our time here this morning, for all those in the room and those watching online, God, that we would be and act and live more like Jesus, more like kingdom citizens as a result of our time together. So Lord, we, we pray in the way that Jesus taught us to pray, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done here in our lives and in chapel today as it is in heaven. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and for your glory. And everyone said, amen. 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 Well, hello and good morning, friends. Um, I'm going to be real and honest with you. I have never spoken in public in my life. So buckle up. It's going to be wild. Um, so I think first I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. I am a child of two extremes. Um, so what I mean by that is uh, 
my father's black and my mom is white. And the culture extremes between those two people are pretty significant. To give you an idea, um, when I was younger, I grew up um, not actually with my dad's family, but with my brother's dad's family um, in my grandma Shirley's house. Um, that was a lot of soul food, church on Sundays, and like that's all Sunday, not just like two hours in the morning. And then uh, riding bikes in the neighborhood, and uh, you know, grandma says, this your cousin, this your auntie, and you say, yes ma'am, it doesn't matter if it's blood or not blood, that's your family. Um, and then on my other side, my white side, um, we go up north uh, every other weekend. We go to a grouse hunt every year. I learned to fish and shoot before I was 12. And uh, they'd ask things like, are y'all coming up north? Or um, I think we'll take the boat out on the lake. Are you guys coming? Or uh, I don't know. You want some hot dish? Oh, well, there's a storm coming, so you might want to spend the night. Um, and your answer is, sure. Um, so that's what I mean when I say that um, I'm the child of two extremes. Um, my dad uh, still lives in Wisconsin. I'm still in contact with him. My mom uh, remarried a man named Christopher, had um, two, or sorry, three, oh, my poor sisters are like two, um, three beautiful little girls um, who are very sassy, and now we can only assume that we got it from our mom because she's the common denominator. Um, so um, when I came to UNW, I was not expecting a culture shock of sorts because as I said, um, I got a lot of white family and boy, are they Minnesotan. Uh, so I was not expecting a culture shock when I came to Northwestern. Um, it's Midwest. I was like, this is gonna be fine. I'm good. Um, some of you may or may not know or may or may not have seen that I wrote an open letter to Northwestern um, that kind of circulated. Um, if you saw any of those letters, um, that one was mine. <laughs> um, if you are interested in looking at my experience at Northwestern um, in more detail, it's still public on my page, so feel free to go look at that. Um, but by my sophomore year at Northwestern, I was ready to leave. Um, I told my mom that I couldn't do it anymore. I was like, this is unlike anything I've ever experienced before. I immediately felt like I was pushed to the outskirts and to the fringes. And like, nobody was doing that on purpose. Like, they were all people that I love and they were all my friends um, and I loved them. But I couldn't help but feel that I was constantly and always labeled um, other. So I told my mom at the end of my sophomore year that I was done. I was leaving Northwestern. I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and my mom, uh, she looked at me and she was like, you know, Felicia, I think that maybe the Lord put you here to help teach people um, and be a bridge um, and be a person of reconciliation um, between and standing in the middle of all of this tension between um, black and white. And I was so angry at her because I was like, mom, I'm just trying to get my degree. I came here to learn like everybody else. Like I'm not trying to do whatever this is and teach students on top of being a student myself. Um, but her words actually really resonated with me and I decided to uh, stick it out. I became and went to my first protest um, in 2015 when Jamar Clark was shot. Um, and I remember showing up to campus and I was wearing a Black Lives Matter sweatshirt and I felt um, 
fear on campus for the first time um, because this was before um, caring about black lives was trending and was popular. Um, so when I was walking around on campus with this proclamation, um, I got a lot of sideways glances, got a lot of whispers, I got a lot of room on the green. I had some teachers pull me aside and say um, some things to me. Um, and it absolutely broke my heart to see Christ followers reject the notion that um, black people were inherently vulnerable. And the reason that this is so close to my heart um, and something that I decided to talk to today about Kingdom Perspective as an alum is because this summer um, I have been doing a tremendous amount of work um, in the Twin Cities, um, reconciling back and forth with people, leading prayer rallies, um, just having everyday conversations with a lot of people. I've had a lot of coffee dates. A lot of people ask me like, Felicia, can we get coffee? I just wanna learn more things. Um, and that's great, um, but it is tiring. Um, these experiences at Northwestern and through my life as a whole, um, kind of shaped my voice and I really felt like and still feel like God calls me into the gap um, between black and white specifically and specifically even more so in the church. Um, I think that the Lord really loves symbols and the fact that he made me a child from both communities um, really speaks to the calling that he had me um, step into as um, a Christ follower. So as I've been in the field representing the kingdom, um, I've become more and more disheartened with how politicized it's gotten. Um, I think the thing that's particularly heartbreaking for me is when Christ puts something on your heart and calls you to go forward and then suddenly the world rips it into two things and is like, you can either believe this or you can believe that. And if you believe this, then all of these list of things also come with that. And if you believe that, then all of these list of things also come with that. Um, and you feel like, you feel like your faith in Christ is questioned and that your following of God has been called into doubt. And it's kind of like, I'm gonna steal a little bit from my pastor, Pastor Sean Moore. Um, he talks about the cross being on a hill and a lot of times we gatekeep and we put a square box around the cross on the hill and we say, you know what? You can only come in and you can only be here if you're inside this box. But we got that wrong because Jesus came for all people, right? That includes the people that don't, dis that don't agree with you. And the, the cross should be on a hill where you can come from any which way, however far away, however close you are, there should be no barriers to get to the cross. So if somebody's back here and then you see them, you don't have to be like, mm, you're back there, like tough luck, I'm sorry. Like it's gonna be a long way to the cross, kiddo. Like, we have to, we have to be able to make the cross accessible to everyone. And right now, I think in America, I mean, just look at the media. When people think about the church, like, are they thinking that the cross is accessible to everybody? It kind of seems like we blocked it off a lot with red tape, particularly in this issue of, I'll just say it, Black Lives Matter. Um, so specifically, um, I wanna talk about politics being a pattern of this world. So in Romans um, 12, 
Um, I know we all know this verse. If you grew up in the church, you heard it every single day of your life. And if you've been to Northwestern, you're going to hear it again. Um, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By the testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want to focus in on the word transformed here because I want to tell you political liberal ideology is a pattern of this world. Political conservative ideology is a pattern of this world. If you are stepping forward as an ambassador of the kingdom of God and you look exactly like this political bandwagon or this political bandwagon, there to me is a problem there because we are Christ followers and we represent the kingdom. When did we start letting politics shape our view of scripture and not our scripture shape our view of politics? So I just, that, that to me is like at the heart of this. Um, I have to tell you when the most um, recent shooting that everybody was talking about, um, Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Um, I told you earlier that my father lives in Wisconsin. He lives about 15 minutes from Kenosha. Um, When I heard that news and I saw the headlines on social media, there was no name at first, and it just kept saying, a father of three was shot, a father of three, a father of three, a father of three. And immediately, my stomach dropped and my whole body went cold because my dad has three younger Um, I have three younger siblings from my dad. I have two sisters and a brother. And the only thing I kept thinking is like, dear God, please, please don't let that be my dad. And instead, I couldn't watch the video. I couldn't because I was afraid that I would see that the man who was shot in the back was my father. And so instead, I looked through articles and articles and articles, and I was trying to find his name, any name, and I was praying to God the whole time, like, please don't let that say Michael. Please don't let that say Michael. And I had this sort of sick dichotomy in my heart of realizing that I was relieved to see that it was another name, but simultaneously heartbroken um, when it sat down with me and settled down in my soul that another life had been taken. I just want to impress upon you that that is the reality that a lot of people face. Um, And then if you have any black friends um, in the Twin Cities, I bet you more than anything that when George Floyd was shot, immediately the thought was, okay, do I know this person? Does my family know this person? Is he my cousin? Is he my uncle that my grandma or my auntie said was my family back when I was little? That's the reality that we're living in. And I think that we tend to separate ourselves, if you've not experienced that, to politicize it and make it something trivial that you can dismiss if that thought or that notion makes you uncomfortable. But when you live in a reality where you hear a father of three was shot and you think, oh my gosh, that could be my dad, that's not something that you can push aside, even if you are uncomfortable. I'm not sure how to press upon the gravity of this, but when I think of that and I think of how the Lord has called us to be empathetic and to see our brothers and sisters personally, I think why would we not gravitate towards 
the people crying out for help or like that there's injustice or that there's pain? Why would we not as Christ followers, as kingdom ambassadors gravitate towards that? I mean, you look at scripture and like it is just pouring out of Jesus saying, go here, go to the widows, go to the orphans, go to the poor. Like anybody that cries out injustice or uncomfortable, like Jesus is like, go. There's never a time where Jesus is like, wait for the facts though. Like, I don't know, are they really poor? Like, are they really that uncomfortable? Like they could probably pull themselves up. Like, did her husband like really die or is like she divorced? Like, we don't know yet, like wait for the facts. You won't find that in scripture. Um, I'm going to borrow from my other pastor, Katie, at Grove, um, because she put it better than I could have ever put it. Um, But let's talk about the term uh, Black Lives Matter in general. Um, Because I truly, and again, kingdom perspective from me, I truly, truly, truly believe that this issue is on God's heart. I truly, truly believe that the Lord wants us in the middle of this hands dirty. And if you're tired of like listening to it, I get it. But like, we're tired of like asking for help. We're tired of marching in the streets. So like, just hear me out, hear me out. Cause I got like 20 minutes left. So um, if you have a problem with the term black lives matter, because let's say it associates the organization. And a lot of Christians have problems with that because the organization doesn't represent kingdom values. Um, two things. First, okay, say it a different way. How about black lives also matter? How about um, black lives are significant to me? How about um, Jesus loves black people and so do I? If you have a problem with the exact phrase because it equates to the organization, say it a different way. However you have to sleep at night, say it a different way. But the bottom line is, is that I believe, and I strongly, strongly believe this, that Jesus does believe that black people have inherent value and that he cares about them and he loves them just as much as he loves you, um, as he loves everybody else, as he loves every other person of color. Um, So however you have to say that to make yourself comfortable, that's the message that we sit in. Second, um, is the organization representing kingdom values? Of course not. No, of course there are things in there that are not kingdom values. But do you want to know the cause of that? The biggest cause of that is because when people cried out in pain, we said, wait, let's make sure that it's not a fluke. When people cried out injustice, the church said, wait, let's wait for the facts. And we've waited so long as the church in the back seat of this that somebody else stepped up to lead. That is backwards. The church should always be at the forefront. If we know, if we know as Christ followers, as the ambassadors of the kingdom of God, if we know that Jesus Christ is the hope, he is the way, the truth, and the light, and he has asked us to be the light in all things, why would we not step forward first to lead first? And yet we have. As the church, we've waited back and we've watched. And you'll notice that this summer when all of those hashtags came out and all of a sudden Black Lives Matter was trending on social media, 
all of these corporations and all of these schools and all of these places suddenly were like, hey, this is what we're gonna do for black lives and for black people. And it's like, okay, where were you in 2015 when this first hit our city? Where were you before that when we were talking about this before? The church has waited. It has waited, you guys, and I, when somebody else takes our spot to lead the United States of America and also the world, we can't be mad then. You can't be surprised that there's another organization in place of the church that's leading and like they don't have kingdom values. Like, what? You mean? The people that like don't believe in Jesus, like aren't following Jesus? Like who said, like who said they could do that? You guys, come on now. Like if you're surprised that there's a group or an organization that is like doing some things that aren't in line with the kingdom, don't be. It's not the church. We waited, we're back here, we're on the bench. We're not in the game. So here's the thing though. That message that Black Lives Matter has, that black people are inherently valuable and that we should be fighting against injustice for them and that pain that they're crying out for, that's real. That's the real part. And that we can be a part of that as the church. We can step up and lead in that way. And let me tell you something else. It is not a mistake that the biggest leaders in our history have been Christ followers. Like, let's go all the way back to Harriet Tubman. They asked her, how did this happen? How did you get out of slavery? And not only that, but how did you have the courage to go back again and again and again and bring people back from torturous, torturous, horrible pain? And you did not lose a single slave not a single one. And she said, because the Lord led me, because God told me to go and I went. That is not a coincidence. And people throughout history will tell you, oh, she hit her head, she did blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay, you tell me the last time a concussion told you to step into battle and rescue some slaves. I don't think so. Second, Martin Luther King Jr. The man was a literal reverend. Everybody knows his name, Thousands and thousands of people in America followed him because he was a leader of the kingdom of God and he says, God cares about my people and I do too and enough is enough. God is a God of justice. He is the king of kings and this is not okay with him. Martin Luther King walked, he marched and the people followed and huge things were changed. But his life was cut short too. They assassinated him. So like, here's the thing. We as the church cannot stand back and sit back and just let other organizations lead. We look at the world and we wonder why things are so divided. We wonder why like everything's a mess and like everybody's yelling at each other and I don't wanna talk about politics anymore. And you guys, no, duh. We're not involved, the church isn't involved. I gotta tell you, when I went to my first protest um, in the uh, police precinct for um, Jamar Clark, I was blown away, first of all, because um, 
my family was very, very against me going. Um, they did not want me to go. They thought it was dangerous. They didn't agree with the protests at all. Um, and I had heard a lot, a lot of things about how violent people were and about how um, people were just belligerent and stealing and fighting and all of these things. But I went anyway, because when the Lord tells you to go, you go. Um, so I went and I was amazed to see that there was a community there. There was songs, there was clapping, there was dancing. Um, it felt like to me as a child when I grew up in the community riding my bike around and um, my grandma would say, that's your auntie, that's your cousin. When I went to that protest, that's what I felt like. I felt like they were my family because I didn't see any um, violence, I didn't see any belligerence, I didn't see any of the things that my family told me that I was going to see. What I did see though, is I saw a lot of Muslims, I saw a lot of Buddhists, <laughs> and I saw a lot of atheists in the community serving people. I saw them handing out clothing, because um, it was winter. They were handing out sweatshirts, they were handing out hand warmers. Um, the homeless population was also like flocking there because these people were feeding them, clothing them, seeing them, loving them. And you guys, the church wasn't there. The church wasn't there because the politics were like, I don't know, wait for the facts. The politics said, mm, I don't know if you should get involved in that. But people that weren't even followers of Christ were doing what we were supposed to be doing. They were being the hands and feet of God and they were winning souls for another kingdom. If we sit back, if we sit on the sidelines, if we sit on the bench, then we cannot be surprised when other people step up and take our spot and our position being the hands and feet of God. Except where they're leading, where they're walking to, that's not the way, the truth, and the light. We know what that is. So why are we not stepping forward into that? Why are we not leading? Why are we not handing out clothes and feeding people and seeing them and praying for them? Why are we not? Why is the church not known for what Jesus told us that we should be known for? The Bible says um, that they will know us by our love in John 13, uh, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, and this is straight from the mouth of Jesus, so if y'all want to argue with it, um, take it up with the Lord. Uh, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. I'm going to pause here. I know it's in the middle of the verses that I just said. When Jesus says, I want you to love others the way I have loved you, catch the significance of that. Jesus Christ laid down his life. He did not get, it did not get taken by surprise. He knew the entire time. He stepped up, stepped in, saw people, healed them, talked to them, prayed over them, saw them, knowing the whole time that his life could be in danger. Talk about uncomfortable. You can't get any more uncomfortable than putting your life on the line. When Jesus Christ says, I want you to love people as I have loved you, that is what we are called to no more, no less, okay? I'm gonna continue. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Church, do they know? Do they know 
that we are the disciples of Christ. When they talk about the church, do they know we are disciples of Christ? Have we been an example to the world of who Jesus is? Have we loved our community, our brothers and sisters, as Christ has loved us? I don't think so, personally. I don't think that that's a standard that we've reached yet. But I do want to encourage you because I think that the Lord is in it. I think that he's ready to go. And I think that he's called us church, all of us church, myself included. Um, when I was here at Northwestern, I was in um, the psychology department. And if you um, are a psychology student, you know um, Don John. And Don John used to say um, that he's seen so many people twist themselves into some sort of demented pretzel to use scripture um, to suit their own needs. I think we've all seen it. We've all seen it in the memes. We've all seen it on Facebook. I'm sure your aunt Hilda or whatever, nobody has an aunt named Hilda. Um, I'm sure somebody has posted it in a news feed somewhere that you've seen, Instagram, Facebook, what have you. People have misused scripture all the time. I'm gonna bring up this specific scripture that I have heard a lot because I think that it applies to us as the church. It's a very nice parallel. Exodus 14, 14. If you've heard this, people always use this verse. The Lord will fight for you you have only to be silent. People love that verse because that just means sit back, kick your feet up. You could have some orange juice because we can't have mimosas because we go to Northwestern. But we're going to have some orange juice and put on our sun hats and the Lord will fight your battles. He will because he loves you. Here's the thing though. Uh, the Lord didn't say that. It was actually Moses who said that. And Moses said it to the Israelites. Moses was saying, hey, you guys, I know we're in Egypt right now and things are tough and um, things are real uncomfortable. And you know what? Uh, just sit tight. Lord's going to get us out of this. He's going to hit the uh, viola eject button and out we go. And uh, then he goes to the Lord in um, verse 15. In verse 15, the Lord says to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea. Divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. So here's the thing. This is what I want you to catch because this is my favorite misinterpretation of the Bible. People like to say, sit still and God will fight your battles. But the Lord says in the very next verse that people just very much like to, because you know when you Google a verse and you're like, the Lord will fight my battles. And then like it Google pops up and gives you just that verse and like no context. And it's just like, yes, he will. You go, you go, you go and sit and you drink your orange juice. The Lord will fight your battles. Um, but it doesn't give you verse 15. So here's the thing. This is what I want you to catch. Moses told them to wait and be still. The Lord said, I told you to move. Lift your staff and stretch out your hands. I have given you the tools. They are in your hands. You have them already. I have already provided you a way. I have already provided you your instructions. Go and move forward. The Lord said that. Once again, y'all, if y'all want to disagree with me, you're going to have to take that up with Jesus. I, I'm, I'm just quoting what he says. That's all. So here's the thing. We as the church... 
that should be hope for us. That should be encouragement for us. Because if the Lord is for us, then who can stand against us? If we decide, you know what, enough of this. No more political dichotomy. No more division. No more hatred spewed back at one, of one another. We want to reconcile to each other because God's heart is for love and for reconciliation. And he has called us to step forward. If we decide that enough is enough and we decide to take the lead and we decide to step into that position, then we're going to have it. That's really simple. The Lord has asked us to do it. And if he wants us there and we step up, that position's ours. So we can't sit back any longer and say, oh, but the Black Lives Matter organization is Marxist and there's so many different things in there. Like, what about black on black crime? What about, no, stop with all of that. Those are excuses. Those are excuses. If the world is hurting this bad and our brothers and sisters are crying out, and if your anger and your bitterness is like flowing through you on the daily, that's not of God. Come on, you guys. We don't want to live like that. I don't want to live like that. I'm tired of being angry too. We got to stand in the gap. We got to be the bridge because the only way this is going to be healed is with the love of Christ and with us as Christ followers moving forward. And we have to say, we have to say no more. Now, I, don't, I didn't come here to um, offend everybody and their mom today, but I probably did. So um, I'm not going to apologize, but I will say um, that I'm happy that you guys um, <laughs> sat through all of this. I'm happy that nobody uh, walked out yet. I don't know if people closed their laptops or not yet, but um, I assume, well, probably like three of them did. I went here, I know. Um, so <laughs> I want to close um, with the um, call to you guys just as the church. Um, lean on each other. You guys, if scripture doesn't tell you not to go, if you can't find scriptural evidence that keeps you from going into battle against injustice for your brothers and sisters, then what are you waiting for? Go, go and do the Lord's work. Go and be ambassadors of love. Go and be ambassadors of Christ. Um, we are called to a higher standard and it's about time that we got off the bench and started meeting that standard. Um, so I am going to close us out in prayer here. And um, yeah, I'll hang around if anybody has questions or anything. Is that allowed? Can I like go out? And they, yeah, Justin gave me the thumbs up. All right, cool. Um, all right, Lord God, um, thank you so much for this opportunity. I know that um, when you called me to speak at Northwestern, I like tried to pretend I was Moses and was like, Lord, I have a st stutter. And he was like, girl, quit playing, get up there. Um, so Lord, I just wanna thank you um, for pushing me into this opportunity. Um, Lord, I pray that um, you speak strongly to the students um, at Northwestern. I pray that you speak strongly to the people at your church. Um, Lord, I pray for bold hearts and I pray for a fire um, in their spirit, Lord, that they can't contain. I pray that they go out and they are such bright beacons of light that people can't help but say those can only be from the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that as we step forward into this, as we show love, as we bring our community together, as we bridge the gap, as we are ambassadors of your reconciliation, 
creation. Lord, I pray that the people start changing their perspective on the church and that they will know that we are your disciples because of our love. Lord, when you say go, I pray that we follow with zero hesitation. Lord, when you say go, these are my people, I pray that we love them with the conviction that you have commanded us and given us to have, that we love them as you have loved us, that we would be willing, Lord, to sacrifice everything for the love of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I pray that you um, stir in our hearts, Lord, and that when we're at home, if there's something that I said today um, that really sits and makes people uneasy and that they have to wrestle with, Lord, good. I pray that we do wrestle with that. And Lord, you know what else? I pray that um, you encounter me as well. I'm not done learning. I'm not done growing. I'm not done walking in the community and learning from um, various communities and cultures. Lord, I pray that over all of us that we have eyes to see and ears to hear your message um, and that when we look at our brothers and sisters in the community, Lord, um, that we see you. In your name we pray. Amen. Alicia, round of applause. Thank you so much. Um, and that is just a reminder that as you go from here to dismiss from the back to the front and to maintain uh, your social distance uh, on your way out. But I do want to encourage you, as Felicia prayed, um, to take some time in prayer. And, and maybe there might be a, a spirit-led, now what? And what has the Lord impressed upon you? And then to share that and talk about that. Uh, with one another. And uh, then, as Felicia mentioned, she'll be around if you'd like to come up and introduce uh, yourself or to talk or ask any questions. So, all right, you are dismissed. Um, God bless you all. Have a great day, and we'll see you back here on Wednesday.